Hey everybody, welcome to Thumbnail, a visual arts podcast. I'm Joe Roshert, illustrator, animator, and adjunct professor. And I'm Louis Rosignal, visual artist. And today we're going to be doing something a little bit different. We usually do um, more topics-based and, and art-based things, you know, to do with illustration and business. But we thought we would do a little bit more personal of a podcast. And I'm going to interview Joe and we'll get to know him more personally. Because I was thinking about it this week that I've known Joan for a long time and there's still a lot that I don't know about him. And so that means the listeners definitely don't know the, the things if I don't know them because I know you better than they do. So I thought we could get into a little bit about your background and stuff like that. Sounds good. I feel like moving forward as a podcast, it'll be good because people will know us even better as people, which maybe gives more weight to what we say or less weight <laughs> depending on <laughs> how they feel about us. But anyway, so it's going to be more personal, but it's, I hope this just is conversational and, you know, we'll have fun with it. Whatever happens, happens. I actually heard something interesting. You know how like sometimes in the beginning of a school year, a teacher will be like, all right, let's go around and everyone introduce themselves and say like something about yourself that is interesting or people wouldn't know about you. Mm -hmm. And then the whole time it's like going around and you're racking your brain trying to think of something interesting to say. Right. <laughs> but I saw like one teacher said that what he likes to do is say like, all right, everyone will go around and say our names and say like a really boring fact about yourself. <laughs> I like Coke or something stupid. Oh, and I kind of like that. It's a good icebreaker. There's no pressure then. You can just literally say the stupidest thing. That's really good. I'm going to ask you that question. Introduce yourself and tell us something boring about yourself. So, I'm Joe Roshert and something boring about myself is that I only wear the same black socks because it's easier to match when I do laundry. <laughs> okay, that's pretty, that's pretty boring. You could have said anything. I mean, you, literally, that's the beauty of it. Oh, man. It's hard to think of something that boring, but that's pretty boring. And maybe there's still pressure because now you're like, I want to say something that's interesting that's boring. So, my, like, I want to be the most interesting boring thing. So, I never thought of this question for myself, but my girlfriend had the same question asked before a, a faculty meeting and uh, she had a great answer. She said, she drinks unflavored seltzer water. That's pretty boring. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, that's good. I mean, that, I think that's probably what I would have said. Something stupid. Like, I like coffee. Like, something that everybody is universal. Right. <laughs> I want to know where you grew up because I know you haven't been in Maine your whole life. Right. So, can you tell us where did you grow up and what was it like? It's different. So, I was born in Toulouse, France and was there, I don't know, maybe a year, not much longer than that. And then moved to Montreal, Quebec. And I lived there through fifth grade, then moved through fourth grade, then moved to Connecticut for fifth grade and stayed there through high school and then moved to Portland, Maine to s study at the Maine College of Art and have been in Portland ever since. So, you grew up in Connecticut mostly and then Canada until you were in fifth grade. Yep. That's interesting. I didn't know you were born outside of the US. Yeah. And I definitely didn't know you lived in two countries before you were here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I remembered you said you were from Connecticut. Do you remember living in Montreal? Yeah, I do. And so, that, that was fun. Uh, went to a private school called Cooper Academy. Half the day was French, half the day was English. And so, I even had like, social studies in French. So, when I was in fourth grade, I was pretty close to fluent in both languages, but I didn't practice at home. And then when I moved to the States, 
I lost a lot of it and they didn't have French fifth grade and they didn't have French until seventh grade and that was just introductory. And so I took those classes and everything, but I felt like I lost a lot French. Is one of your parents French? Like I'm assuming if no. you were born in France. No, it was just happened. My parents just happened to be there because that's where my dad was working time. He worked in field service and customer service for some aviation companies. Oh, and interesting. So he was, he was stationed there at the time. That's what also brought him to Canada. How would you say your upbringing was? Was it your parents, were they strict? Was it pretty? My parents were pretty strict. Were they? I would say so. But I, you know, I goofed off. I did a lot of normal kid stuff played a lot of sports. And so, that was really different for me because all my friends were all like the jockey kids. They played all the sports and I loved all the sports. Yeah. But I also really loved art and they definitely did not love art. And so, I was caught in the middle there and it was always kind of like a a give and take my entire school life Mm -hmm. before college. And then going to college now, it's the opposite where now I connect with everyone as far as like intellectually and creatively and it's great, but I'm having a hard time finding someone to throw a baseball with. So, it's a weird flip-flop of worlds. That's so interesting because I feel like it seems like it's a misconception that people have that artists don't like sports. I know Max, who's a friend of mine, loves basketball. I've always loved playing basketball and watching and then to find out you're into sports, which is something I didn't know about you. I don't know why people think that. Because I really feel like I have a lot of friends that do like sports. And maybe you're saying you're in like this art world at the school and you're having a hard time finding someone to throw a baseball with. But I bet more people actually do like sports than you even you know, know. You just They just don't say it. You know? Right. And I think you do gravitate towards the people that have the similar interests. And so, the few people that I still keep in touch with are actually the ones that like sports too. So, I guess that's funny that you thought the same. I didn't know you were into sports either. So, that's, <laughs> that's good to know. I'm not into all sports. I like to play golf and I like to play basketball and football, but I really only like watching basketball. I kind of find the rest of them a little bit yeah, slow. love watching hockey. I love skiing. Skiing is probably my favorite sport. Oh, really? And uh, I really love skill games, like skill bar games, like bocce and like darts and pool and yep. foosball and bubble hockey, you know, like those kind of <laughs> games. Yeah, I like all that stuff yeah. too, for sure. That's pretty cool. So, you moved to Maine when you graduated high school and it was to start art school, right? That's the reason you came here? right after high school. And why Maine? Because there's obviously tons of art schools and there's even some in in the area you were in. Yeah, I got into all the art schools I applied to. So, I looked at them and I looked at the ones that were local to me and did some traveling to others. Like, I traveled to MICA, the Maryland Institute College of Art and RISD and all these bigger name schools. But I judged it all on just gut feeling. And I remember when I was doing a tour and was driving up to Maine with my dad and like as soon as we even just drove into the state, it felt nice. And something about, yeah, something about Maine, even just going over that bridge to Southern Maine from New Hampshire, something was in there, there was good vibe to it. And then even before seeing the school and I'm driving around Portland, Mm -hmm. the same thing. I'm just really liking the vibe. I'm trying to imagine like, hey, can I see myself living here for four years? Yeah, definitely. I'm really digging this place. Had you vacationed in Maine? Because I know a lot of people from Connecticut and New York do vacation. No, not really. As a kid, I think we went up to Wells Beach once, but not really. Mecca really wasn't even on my radar. I just happened to be on this longer list of colleges that Mm -hmm. I just happened to write up based off of random pamphlets I found in my high school art teacher's college bin that she had. 
you know, so I'm just like looking at different pamphlets and books and writing down names that I thought were interesting. And so ended up taking a look at Mecca and fell in love even more, you know, so it's just like compounding likability. And so I really loved the facilities, the fact that it was a small school and a lot of face-to-face time with your professors. You weren't just a number. And and I really liked all that. And so the vibe of that really jived well with uh, everything else. So that's why I chose Maine. It's definitely a great state for sure. And I can't blame you for coming up here. I was just curious. Now, when you were in high school, you said you you saw like a pamphlet or whatever for the Maine College of Art in one of your high school classes. I'm trying to think back to when I was in high school. And I definitely have like fond memories of my art classes that I took and my art teacher. Did you have any specific art teachers or classes that you remember that really influenced you or made you want to do it as a career? Yeah, I had one art teacher in high school that taught all four years. Even No, yeah, all four years of high school. And yeah, she was the only help I had. My parents didn't know what to do with me. They didn't know how to go through the process of applying to art school. They didn't know what was good, what was bad, how to make a portfolio and all that. So I luckily had someone to help me and guide me in that way. I took all the art classes I possibly could to the point where I was yep. taking independent studies. I think I dropped out of French so I could have an additional class for art. And so instead of just having study all classes, I'm booking my day up even in high school with art classes. And that was my time to exercise that side of the brain where the rest of the time I'm buddying up with all my friends that like sports. Did you feel like back then you were naturally a little bit talented with art or did you feel like you weren't any better than anybody else, but you really loved it and you wanted to work at it? I think I felt that I was talented at art my whole life because I was told I was talented. Yeah. Would I have known otherwise? Maybe. But um, the encouragement at a young age onward kind of helped solidify the fact that I was not only talented at it, but I enjoyed doing it. And so, yeah. it was kind of the, the best of both worlds there. Before moving to Connecticut, my school didn't have an art program. So, all the way up through fourth grade, I had no actual training any sort at school. You said you were in Montreal and they didn't have an art yeah, program? Yeah, it was a small private school at the time. And they didn't have they didn't have that. And so, my mom was a teacher and an early childhood educator. And early on, she knew right away that my drawing level and abilities are far beyond what normal kids are during my age. And so, she quickly saw that and was able to preemptively find the help because she wasn't able to help me in that sense. So, she, yeah. she helped me by finding someone else who could. And so, I did get private art lessons in a sense where I'd go and take classes after school. And I loved it. I ended up taking classes as a eight-year-old with high school kids. And right away, the art teacher got signed up with accepted me because of the skill that she was seeing and wanted to help me with that. But warned my mom right away that, you know, the things that these kids say (laughs) in class are going to be high school level cussing and all that. Right. Yeah. And she's like, oh, that's fine. We'll just, we'll deal with that at home, but let's focus on the art stuff. So, it was never that bad because everyone's always heads down working on their stuff. Yeah. So, I was, I was in my I own. I don't think it matters right? much. You're in your own world. Yeah. I was thinking of today too, like the kids today probably start swearing and everything way younger because the internet is just so easy to access like yeah. really bad stuff. Yeah, it was just at least nurtured the right way early on with, with art, I think. I know when my mom would tell me that I was good at drawing, like it didn't really mean that much because... 
she would say that I was good at anything. She was my mom, right? So she's going to be encouraging. When other people told me, then it meant more. Mm-hmm. Is that something that you can relate to? Oh, totally. Totally. Yeah, I thought the same. But then even later in life or as I got older, I think my parents were realistically critical of whatever I was doing and still encouraging, but telling them they didn't like it. <laughs> That's good. And so, That's good to have like some realist because if your parents are always just say you're great at everything, you might have this really warped view of yourself. Yeah. So, it's good to be realistic with children, but also be encouraging, I think. Like I remember one of my grandmothers parents being super, super opinionated about my work. And she's like, I don't, I don't get it. I don't get it. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to ask, can you give an example of things they said, but they would just would say they didn't get it. Don't get it. It's like, don't get the whole cartoony stuff. But she loved when I did a realistic figure drawing. That's just the era that she lived in. She's like, oh, that's so beautiful. Okay. I know, I know what you like. I'm not going to do that. (laughs) Yeah. Usually people that don't appreciate art as much like realism and that type of art. And so, there's nothing bad about that. That's just generally what I've found. I wrote down a bunch of different questions, but I I wanted this just to flow. I want to know like your earliest influences because I know some of your influences today, but do you remember like if there was any artists or the type of music you were listening to that influenced your art back in like high school? Mm -hmm. And what year were you born in? So, I can get an idea of when you were in high school. I was born in 88, graduated from high school in 2007 and then college 2011. All right. Earliest influences. I always really liked Norman Rockwell and Mm -hmm. I liked him for a lot of reasons. And I think at the time I thought that realism was art and being able to draw something representationally was how you base how good an artist was. Yeah. And so he was like a cool benchmark for me because he was still able to add a lot of character and expression into realism and concepts behind different scenes, technical ability. And so that was a an early I admired him a lot early on. But then I really loved cartoons. As a kid, through high school, even now I kept being told over and over again, like, that's for kids, that's for kids, that's for kids. But like, I just loved, I absolutely loved it. And I loved... Which cartoons? Can you be more specific? Because I'm trying to think of what cartoons were maybe big during that time. Beavis and Butthead, Ed, Ed and Eddie, Angry Beaver, Wild from Berries, Hey Arnold, All Real Monster, to name a few off the top of my head. Rocco's Modern Life. Yeah. Okay. I've only seen a couple of those. That's interesting. I'll have to check some of the other ones out because I still like to watch cartoons, but... Cat dog. I'm like 10 years older than you, so I think we grew up in a little bit different times. But Beavis and Butthead, I definitely am familiar with. a lot of 90s Nickelodeon cartoons I I absolutely loved. Yep. Red and Stimpy. Yeah, Red and Stimpy. I feel like that was the golden age of animation where there weren't really many rules and and they crossed the line a lot. Do you think sometimes when I see modern animation, I think maybe because we live in a world that people are consuming so much stuff all the time as far as entertainment? the creators are trying to pump out a lot of stuff. And so, the animation isn't as maybe as good as it used to be because they're trying to get things done quick. And so, they maybe cut corners or they do animation that's simpler just so they can get the storyline across. But the animation itself doesn't matter as much. Right. In order to pump up quality in different ways, you have to pump down quality in others, you know, to have the pipeline and how fast you can make it work. Yeah. So, a lot mm-hmm. of them, a lot of them, and it kind of tends to go towards more of a puppety animation now where it's yeah. kind of blocky. But before everything was drawn frame by frame, you could really make things rubbery and, and right. loose and flowy. And sure, it was a lot more time to make, but it's special. And I feel like that's what I try to do now. Like I, I try to make things kind of with that 
aesthetic in the back of my head because I feel like we miss it. I know I miss it. I miss that kind of fluidity with a lot of the cartoons that I see. But I think it's starting to come back. Well, it's cool that you're an animator now. I mean, I know you went to school for illustration, but you're doing so much animation. So, you're getting to really use your influence in a huge way. Because as an illustrator, having animation as your influence, you can still use that influence and you can see it in your work. But to really be able to do the type of art that specifically influenced you, it's really cool. And I know you like to do a mix of illustration and animation. Yeah. I love the mix. Animation's fun and I've been getting tons of great work from it. But there's some parts, man, it's so tedious. It is so tedious and you're drawing the same thing over and over and over again. But all this blood, sweat and tears that go into it after, it's like you've created life, you know? That's what it feels like because it's motion. And so, it's like you created life from nothing through your drawings and that's cool. That's really cool. It's like what you imagine your character's doing in your head when you're trying to plan out an illustration or something or try to figure out their person, but then actually acting it out too. Whole nother level. Whole nother level. Yeah. I always love drawing and I've always wanted to see some of my specific drawings and characters that I've curated come to life, but I'm just not a great animator. Mm-hmm. But if I could find someone that could take them and animate them, I think that would be cool because to see them in motion, it would feel like you really created something more living than like a flat 2D image. I want to move into a little bit more about your career. So, tell me about your first big gig. I know you have, you know, your first illustration jobs are usually pretty small (laughs) and maybe they're for family and friends. But on your website, you have a list of all the clients you've worked for and some of them are definitely bigger clients, especially in the local Portland and the Maine and New England area. You've worked for some pretty big people. So, I just want to know about your first big job. Like, what was it? And What was the job? What did it entail? And how did you feel when you got the job? Yeah, I wonder what we would consider as big, like my first 10 grand job. Yeah, it doesn't even have to be the money. It can just be someone you are excited to work for. You know what I mean? Like, oh, that's cool. I know who this company is. Because a lot of times you get reached as an illustrator. I get a lot of work for people that just want personal work done or it's something you've never heard of before and they want something done. And you're happy to work for clients like that. But when you get a client like... I'm just trying, I'm trying to think of off the top, like Home Depot reaches out to you Mm -hmm. or, or, okay, that's different. That's like a different level. So, I'm just curious what your first job was that you were like excited to work for this person or this company. Yeah. How it went. What comes to mind first is a series of four animation, 30 seconds each for the Cromwell Center for Disability Awareness. And I really like their mission. Their mission is like they go to schools and they teach kids about different disabilities and Mm -hmm. bring awareness to it. And just the fact that they're just like you, but they might have, uh, some things might be harder than other things for them. Right. But it's nothing to be weirded out about. What did they hire you to do? And they hired me to do a series of animations to start discussions, to start basic discussions around disability. And I just thought it was so interesting. And I love doing things for kids. It's like a soft spot. And so, I was totally in, totally in on the mission and the project was super interesting. And this was actually my first animation project. And this was the animation project where I didn't know how to animate before agreeing to doing the project. Mm -hmm. And so, like I knew a little bit and I had some really baseline stuff, but it was like five plus years since I animated in school. And so, the program completely changed. So, I had a lot of learning to do. And so, I I land the project. I learn how to to animate on YouTube over the course of the next two weeks, just watching tutorials. 
and at the same time starting the process for these animations and storyboarding, trying to get approval and all that. And what was so interesting too, I, I came up with the idea of they wanted to originally use people or kids as characters, but I advised against that because you kind of open up a, a big can of worms there, like to have complete diversity and also diversity of different disability awareness. And there was just so much wrapped up in using people. And so I suggested that all the characters should be shapes because all shapes have their advantages and disadvantages based on just... Plus, they're easier to animate. Right. <laughs> right. And so, so I cover it up with all the concept behind it <laughs> and how, you know, a square has advantages for some things, but a circle has advantages for other things. And, and we can yeah. play this up in the animation and then we can talk about why and what is their advantage versus the other shapes advantage, blah, blah, blah. That's so smart though. I'm thinking about that. If like you get a job and you don't know how to do it, if you can convince them that, that they need to go the simplest route possible, <laughs> do it, right. you know? But even though it was the simplest, I do strongly think it was the best route yeah. ab about it. And it just happened to be the simplest, which was just <laughs> dumb luck. But um, that was my first big project that I remember and will always stand out in the back. I still have those projects up on my website today because I think they're solid representations of the concepts that I was trying to get across. That's awesome. It's always cool to get a job like that you feel is like a landmark in your career. Mm. This is like a new level almost. Right. And of course, when you're doing something totally different like animation, when you were doing illustration before, then that's definitely like a benchmark. I'm sure every illustrator and artist can think of moments in their career where they were like, okay, this, this kind of changed things a little bit. And there's probably other moments that you don't realize change things in the way you think about things, but they probably did, yeah, right? Yeah, a bunch of cool moments like that. Is there like a moment that you can think of, okay, let's say you have a time machine and you can go back in time to any part in your life and you get to live your life over again from that moment. Mm -hmm. Is there like a thing you can think of, oh, I wish I had done this differently. And so, you could go back and change that and then start over from there. No. You don't have any regrets. No, zero regrets. That's awesome because so many people can think of like so many regrets. So, to live a life like that where you don't really have any is yeah. fortunate. For a long time, I was mad at my parents for moving to Connecticut and like my life was there and I was a kid and I understand why we were blah, blah, blah. And it was very difficult for me. So, moving from Montreal to a small town was super hard and everyone already had their clicks. So, you couldn't really find your place. And so, I, I did not have an easy time at first, but I pushed through and made something of it and that I was very happy with in the end. But if I didn't have that hardship, I wouldn't be who I am. And so, when I look yeah. back at it, like that totally structured my life in a way in so many different little ways, uh, socially or how I deal with problems or uh, how I interact with people, what I don't like, what I like. If I didn't have everything the same way in the same sequence that I did have it, I wouldn't be the same person that I am now. And I wouldn't have the same things that I have now. I get what you're saying. I don't want to give up on this time machine question because let's pretend you have to use the time machine for, for something. You don't have to go back and change anything or relive anything. Maybe you just, you're going to use it to go back and you're going to tell your younger self something. And then come right back kind of a thing. And then you come back. What would you want to tell your younger self? You had a time machine. You're going to use it for something and you can't you use it to go back and like kill Hitler or something. You have to use it for something for yourself. Then I'd probably go back around that time. That was uh, probably the hardest time in my life. You know, I'm fortunate that that was the hardest time in my life. You know, it's really in the grand scheme of things, nothing. But I'd probably go back, yeah, to fifth grade me 
before going to the new school, it's kind of let me know that things get better and better every day. And yeah, not sure, to get too down. Sure, you, you have your hiccups along the way, but if you were to graph it out, yeah, it's definitely, definitely gets better over time. I think that's a good thing to tell your younger self for sure. And I'm trying to think like if that's something similar, but I don't think I would have used it to tell myself something. I probably would have went back and fixed the mistakes that I made. So, when did you start teaching at Mecca? I think it was 2016 or 2017. How did that happen? How did you get the job? I was asked. I wasn't expecting it. I was asked if I would like to teach and uh, I said, yeah. So, I think before that, I left it open. So, I guess I was talking with uh, Marianne. Marianne was working there and I think we had a conversation and mentioned that I, I would like to teach someday. And I was asked way sooner than I thought I would be asked to teach. <laughs> and right. uh, I just jumped on it and really loved it. I loved teaching. Did they ask you in person? They send you an email? I think it might have been a text first and then a phone call. I'm just curious how it felt to be asked. Because like, I feel like being asked to teach says a lot about you as an artist. Like They're obviously seeing value in having you come in and share what you know. Mm. And so, how did it feel to know that they wanted you to teach? It felt really good and especially because I was very early in my career. It felt like, uh, like it was, let's see, it was, yeah, yeah it was seven, maybe seven, eight years, seven years into my career. You were still in your 20s. Yeah, didn't have a master's. They counted my working experience as equivalent to yeah. a master's. I think with art, a master's is just not necessary to be a teacher. I think experience is actually way more beneficial well, for sure. Especially for commercial-based stuff, I think. I'd rather be taught by an illustrator who was working in the field freelancing or yep. whatever than someone who claims to be an illustrator, hasn't done a freelance project ever, but has a master's Just degree. they have a master's. There's so many illustrators out there that don't even have a bachelor's degree right. and they're amazing illustrators and I think they'd be better off teaching than someone who has a master's but doesn't have any really... Yeah real world experience in the art world. Totally agree with that. And so, yeah, it was really awesome being asked to teach until I realized how little <laughs> teachers get paid, even at the college level. And so, that was super disappointing. And I thought very highly of my school and I felt like I lost a lot of that by peeking behind the curtain and seeing how things are done. Yeah. You don't want to see how the, the, sauce, the sausage made. is made. <laughs> how the sausage is made. I couldn't think of the expression, <laughs> but it's true because you've told me a little bit about what they pay and stuff. And I was surprised if I'm being honest, like you would think at that level, especially an art school that's, they're expensive yeah. to go to main college of art or any art school. It's a lot of money. Yeah. And I know that the equipment that they have and the space and stuff costs money, but man, it seems like they could pay a little bit better for sure, especially all the experience you're bringing. Yeah. Something's not right there and something's not adding up. That's just coming from a, a business sense. And so, mm -hmm. that was disappointing. But I'm, I think it happens a lot with a lot of higher education, but uh, that's not an excuse to keep doing it that way. I'm trying to think like put together the amount of money I paid to go to school versus how many students were there, like how, just how much money they're bringing in every year. And it's a lot of well, money. Like one person in my class based on how much they're paying for that class, pays the salary for the adjunct faculty. So, basically, one of the students pays your salary and then the other 12 to 20 students are just what money going to the school for other things, but it's like, it's it seems a little bit out of balance. Yeah. And then what's crazy too is like I could, on a good project, I could land a project any day, any second and make that much money in a weekend versus a whole semester, you know? So, makes sense when times are tough, but... 
Other than that, it's kind of maybe when I'm retired. And your girlfriend's a teacher, right? She teaches... Mm -hmm. Middle school, yeah. Middle school? How did you meet her? Craigslist. I was uh, shopping for a lawnmower. She happened to be... I was scared for a second when you said Craigslist. <laughs> okay. Okay, so you were shopping for a lawnmower. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I, I, we didn't actually meet on Craigslist, but it was... It wasn't on. Really it wasn't. It was an online app. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, if it was Craigslist, but you were just shopping for a lawnmower and happened to <laughs> meet like some girl that was selling a lawnmower, I don't think that's such a big deal. <laughs> I remember a time when you wouldn't want to meet someone that way. It would be like embarrassing almost. But now it's just like yeah. that's just how people meet. It's weird, but it is easier to do that. But I've been on a ton of online dates and stuff, and I don't know. It's just as tough. You just cut the bullshit out of the way and it, I think I'm so curious about it's that. Easier. Now that's like that's what I want to talk about because <laughs> I was married before there was even online dating was a thing, right? So mm -hmm. I don't know anything about it. So you went you've been on like dates that you just met them on some type of an app? Yeah, you're just like super shallow looking at just their pictures at first and swiping left, swiping yeah. right, maybe looking at some basic interests and uh, that's how it starts. And if they swipe... If they like you, then you're matched and you can talk. And so then you talk to see if you even want to go on a date. And if they pass that stage, then you go on a date, you go grab a drink or something, coffee. So interesting. Yeah. It's weird. It's definitely weird, but uh, it's... Well, it's good though because then, you're then like... At least you know you're both single or you're not just like randomly trying to meet someone at a bar, sometimes creepy. Yeah, and you kind of get an idea of their interests and everything on their profile. So, right. you kind of can see like what type of things they're interested in if they might be like a good fit right. in that way. Right. Plus, if they swiped the same way on you, then that means you're both at least physically attracted to each right. other. And you might have some pet peeves that you're easily able to get out of the way immediately. It's like, oh, I don't like that you like the color purple. Boop, 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 you know. <laughs> yeah, that's strange. Something super surface. But How long have you been together? About a year and a half now. It's going well. Really great. I've never met her, so I, that's why I'm asking. Like, I genuinely don't know anything about her, so <laughs> I'm not. So people listening might be like, these guys are friends and they're asking these questions. They must know the answer, but Joe and I are friends we met through school, but we don't know each other that personally. And we didn't cross over in school. Uh, right. I, only, I only crossed over with you because I came in right. to give talks and crits and stuff. Yeah, and almost everything we've ever done together has been like on a professional level. Mm -hmm. So, personally, there's a lot of I don't know about you and I've never met your girlfriend. Yeah. Have you met my wife? I don't even think no. you have, have you? No. So, there you go. And my wife works literally across <laughs> the street from you. Like you could, from your from where you're sitting right now, you could walk and see her within 30 seconds. <laughs> minutes. Yeah. <laughs> no, not even minutes. Like literally within I less could, than a I minute. I could hold my breath and meet your wife right now. <laughs> One sec. Before you breathe again. Yeah, because literally if you go across the street, there's like that side door to the Regency. You go in there and that's where the spa yeah. is. That's crazy. That's funny. If you went there yesterday, you could have met Gordon Ramsay. Oh, man. Because he was in the spa. I could have. Isn't that frustrating to know that you were just within 50 yards of Gordon Ramsay and you didn't get. What would you have done? Just looked? Like, oh, I, I saw know, him. You could have said hi. hi. <laughs> met him. It might have been kind of cool. I want to give you a sticker here. Have you ever, like, seen a famous person in person? I don't think so. Can't. I have a few times. It's just like, you don't want to be that person that's annoying and, and, like, ask for a picture. So I generally was pretty just 
chill about it. I feel like there's a lot of times where people, where I remember people looking at me as if I knew who they were, but I genuinely didn't know <laughs> who they were. So who knows? Maybe maybe I've seen celebrities just not know it. It's definitely an interesting experience, especially when you see them in like a weird place where you weren't expecting to see them. Mm. You know, because I've gone to like different comedy shows for famous comedians and I've got a chance to meet them after the show. Mm. But you were expecting to see them there. That's why you went. Right. But when you just happen to see them randomly in a place, that's definitely strange. And it would be easy to maybe not even notice or recognize them because they're out of place. Right. Well, you learn quick that they're just people and they're no different than anyone else. So I got a question for you. If someone handed you $25,000 right now to put towards your business, what would you use that money for? And why? Geez, I guess it would be basic necessities at first, like computer upgrades for productivity. You know, maybe a lot of that money would go towards salaries to get help with some projects, to just get them to do them faster, to have someone print out all my shirts or package all my Etsy sales or to help me sell more product. The problem with having a lot of interest is having to do a lot of different things. And sometimes I'm just stretching myself too wide, I think, and and not not narrowing in on one thing enough. So yeah, I'd I'd probably hire help. Wouldn't it be cool to hire someone that was just a genius marketer? Yeah. And that way you don't have to deal with any of like the social media stuff or the marketing. Right. Or someone whose only job it is is to blitz Etsy and to just work at it for you. Yeah. To work at advertising and stuff for you. I always feel like that's the smartest thing to spend money like that on because they pay for themselves, right? If you're spending money on them and they're really good at marketing and they're really good at what they do, they're going to bring in Mm -hmm. so much more money and revenue that they end up paying for themselves. It's just a matter of having the money up front to pay. Right. Or someone to do my social media. It's like I have plenty of content. I just don't love posting. (laughs) (laughs) And so, it's just not my thing. So, I'd rather someone else just take it on and do it better and have better grammar than I do and (laughs) spell things better. Yeah. It's time consuming too. It's super time consuming. I'm trying to think of like misconceptions about working as an artist, especially with illustration. There's a lot of people in the fine art world that have views about illustration that aren't false. But I think illustration is the best form of art. And I'm assuming that you probably feel similar. So, why do you consider illustration to be such a great form of art? I think it's great because of mass appeal. And so, there's a low, low cost of entry for everyone else involved. So, you don't need to know art. I've gotten an education in art in order to be able to appreciate and connect with it. Narratives are straightforward. If someone doesn't understand your illustration, it's because you did something wrong or you could have done something better. Where in the fine art world, it's your fault for not understanding what the artist is trying to do. I think it's illustrations viewed as lowbrow a lot of times, but takes just as much thought than any fine art piece does. Yeah, I think you're right. And I like what you're saying because the reason you're giving as to why illustration is the best form of art is the same reason people look down on Mm -hmm. the fact that it appeals to a large market. Mm -hmm. And so, I think it says a lot about you. You're not a pretentious person. You Mm -hmm. know, you appreciate who cares like what the art is used for if it, even if it does appeal to a a mass crowd, like so what? Right. I strongly believe in making happy happen and to just spread a smile wherever you can. And I don't know, I always had this dream, like, if I had a wish from a genie, what would I wish for? That wasn't about me or wasn't for me. It was for everyone else. And I just want everyone in the world to smile or laugh at the same time, just once, 
you know, and I, I think that it's super powerful and I, illustration has that. And it's like you could make something that's funny for everybody, have no language barriers, have it be understood just because of natural humanity or natural human things that happen in everyday life that are funny, that are just kind of playing with. And I think that's what makes illustration so special. I've always tried to put like a pin on what it is about illustration that I like so much. And I think you explained it in a pretty succinct way. But it is definitely looked down on by a lot of fine artists. And they're the same type of people that probably only listen to like really indie bands. And then if, if the band gets big, they don't like to listen to them anymore because, you know, they're, <laughs> they're too, too they're mainstream. They're too big now. Yeah. Yeah. And I always think that's such a stupid mindset. Like if you like the music, who cares? Yeah. Like if other people like it, then you can't like it anymore. Yeah. And then looking at it just strictly based on statistics, it's much easier to make a living off of being an illustrator than it is make a living off of being a fine artist. And as far as percentage goes, you know, there's a lo- much lower percentage of successful fine artists than there are of successful illustrators, especially when it comes to like making a living. Yeah, I think you're probably right. I think maybe like the fine artists that do make it probably make more money. There's a lot more illustrators that are successful and have a career, but fine artists do make more money if they can break through. That's what I also don't really know for sure because I know plenty of illustrators that are making 100, 200 a year mm-hmm. and the, and like they're the best of and not even necessarily the best of talent-wise, but they're the best of being able to mass market, right? And sure, their things individually aren't that expensive. It's like a $40 book, but they have a great market that they're appealing to. They have a great big following. And now all these little guys are rallying together and able to make a huge career for somebody. And I think that's really special. Instead of being the fine artist that sells that one painting for a million dollars, that one time and that's that that's it where do you want to see your art i saw on instagram this week you posted your art on some beer can Mm mock-ups and it said like i'd love to see my art on some beer cans and so i'm wondering like where you really want to see your art the most like you could pick something to illustrate or yeah i'd love to have a character that's widely known so widely known that that it could be uh, one of those balloons in the Macy Day Parade on Thanksgiving. Like a, so like a cartoon character or yeah. comic strip or something I like that? I want that. I want to be like a Snoopy level character that I now have a balloon in the parade. Then I'd be able to die in peace, you know? <laughs> yeah. That's what I really want someday. You just got to pick a character and just stick with it. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. But I don't know, like, why, what if I picked the wrong one, right? So, I just got to do a lot, a lot of different ones and maybe one of them will catch. But I'd love to see that someday. I'd really like to do some bronze sculpture too. That's, that's neat. I like the idea of something physical outlasting not only you, but your grandchildren and some. And I think that would be cool to have. It would be cool to have some characters done in bronze that outlasts me. I definitely could see you ending up having a character like that though, because your art is perfect for it. You do very cartoony stuff. And so I think you definitely should keep working at that because it's just a matter of time and you're still so young. You got plenty of time to do it. Yeah. Oh yeah. It'll happen. I was just curious when I saw the beer because I wouldn't have even pictured that you were interested in putting your work on on beer cans. It wasn't. So that's why I was like, I wonder what else type of thing. I'd love to put my artwork on beer. Maybe because I love love beer. Yeah. A friend of mine did those, Chris Bradley. Yeah. He did a great job with those. Yeah. I could definitely see it on an actual. And there's so many different microbreweries and breweries and 
port just portland itself so right. never mind like all the surrounding areas right i think maine has one of the top amounts of microbreweries in the country i wouldn't be surprised <laughs> there are yeah, so many so many so many yeah i was able to do that geary's thing that was really cool to see when they put mm. the bottles out but it was just like a one year because mm-hmm. they change it every year so it's not like something that's still out there you know what i didn't think i even kept one of those bottles that's so i have one of the six pack things mm-hmm. like but i don't have any of the bottles i should have kept one Bummer. that was dumb I try to keep things like that, but for some reason, I don't think I kept it. Actually, a pretty good question to end on. Were you hoping to say anything or talk about something that you thought I might ask that I didn't? Is there something I should have asked that we should have got into? Hmm. I guess that's kind of like asking, is there something really interesting about you that I don't know? Pressure's really on on this one. I like asking the question, what's your relationship with failure? Like, what's a time that you feel like you've really failed, but, and what have you done to fix it? But I don't really know how to answer that. <laughs> it's funny that it's like a question that you like asking, but you've never really thought about how you would right, answer it. Because it's a very interesting question, I think. I do think that it's interesting that you said you don't really have any regrets, which means that your relationship with failure must be that you embrace it. I do. You don't want to go back and fix those things because you what you understand that you learn from all your failures and and so you need to have them. Yeah, I do have a positive relationship with failure and I I fail all the time, mess things up all the time. Uh, my parents think I'm like a bull in a china shop kind of a <laughs> kind of a guy where I'll go in with everything at first and and I'll just learn really quickly or I don't dwell on the things that I've screwed up. I just make sure I fix it. And so I think failure is just crazy important and I think people have a, a, a the wrong relationship with failure or the wrong mentality behind failure and I think if we just kind of redirect failure as being more of a positive thing, we'll be better off in so many different ways. And so it's not about I don't know, I think growing up we're taught in movies and stuff that failure is not an option and we will do this and we will do it right. Like yeah, okay, well that's what everyone wants. But what if we failed three times before getting it right? Would the end product be better? Maybe. Yeah, that's true. The realistic viewpoint is that not only is failure an option, it's a likely reality. Yeah. It's going to happen. Yeah. So I guess there's a lot of times where I would probably like to use that time machine that we talked about and go back in time and whisper in my ear, hey, don't do this, you know, because you're going to break this. It's like, okay, that would be nice to know, but it solidifies it so much more. When you screw up, <laughs> when you when you fail, yeah. like, you you probably learn twice, at least twice as much as you would through success. Ten times as much than you would successes. And so yeah, you definitely learn way more through failing. So I didn't answer my own question, but you kind of did. You beat around the bush a bit. Sometimes you're just like you're not prepared for questions, especially ones that you are your own. <laughs> but I think I went through all the questions I have. I guess the only one I didn't go through, which is kind of a stupid question, but I'll end on it. It's a rapid fire question. What's the worst song on your phone? Because you keep your music on your iPhone. <laughs> That's This is a funny thing about me, actually. So when I first, I guess when like LimeWire was a thing and I would just download music all the time, yep. gigabytes after gigabytes of, of music, and it have, had a huge library. And I probably gave, I don't know, three of my home computers viruses because of that. Yeah. Were just unsalvageable. And I don't even know where all those songs went. And I remember that the music was what was slowing down my computer most of the time. And I just needed that extra space for work or for other things, just like to general longevity for the lifespan of the computer. So I actually don't have any music at all in my Apple iTunes whatsoever. And I only stream from Spotify or Pandora. 
just because I don't want the data. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. So on my phone, I actually have zero music other than... Nothing downloaded. Nothing downloaded. Yeah. I guess a lot of people, probably more people do that than you would think just because you don't need to. I have Apple Music, so I can play anything I want pretty much any time, but I still do download things for when I'm not connected to the internet or whatever. Yeah. I never was into buying albums that much. Well, let's pretend you have the songs that you like downloaded. <laughs> Is there one song that you can think of that you like to listen to that's kind of embarrassing? Uh, that's embarrassing. You know, it's like a guilty pleasure or it can be a band, I guess, or a musician that you like that you don't think is that cool. Hmm. Probably is easier if you had the stuff downloaded on your phone because you could like scroll through and just see, oh yeah, this is kind of... There's this band that I like listen to uh, called Brad Sucked Fun, Guilty Pleasure, Frost, another artist that's kind of a pleasure. X, I've never heard um, of it or him. Else. What type of music is it? I don't even know how you'd classify it. I guess it's a little bit alternative. And then a song that always comes to mind is bomb track by rage against the machine yeah but that's not a guilty pleasure that's like a cool band yeah they're cool but that's what comes to mind <laughs> yeah. whenever i think about it when i, I think about like that's a good band though i definitely used to listen to them back in high school all the time yeah i really don't know i love music but the thing about me that i hate is i don't remember band names i don't remember song names. i can't identify who the song is but i love music <laughs> So that's probably one of the most frustrating things that I even deal with myself. Interesting. Well, I think we learned quite a bit about you. We learned like about your upbringing, how you got started doing work. I feel like I definitely know you better. Good. And I know more about who you are as a person, which is good. So next week, we're going to switch this around and you're going to interview me. Yeah, prepare so you can yourself. Some of the same questions or, and you can ask whatever you want. My I don't questions care. are going to be a doozy. Like, <laughs> what have you failed at that you... I can't even remember the question I just asked. Oh, what's your, what's your biggest failure? That's fine. I, I'll think about it ahead of time so that I can't answer that. Yeah. I'm not going to answer it now, okay. but I'm okay to talk about whatever. So you can ask personal stuff or whatever you want. All right. Cool. Till then, thanks for joining us today. Yeah. Thanks for stopping by and uh, take care.